Hello. Welcome to this week's edition of the Africa Climate Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Mbogwa. So last week, Peter told us of different methods communities use to predict how the weather patterns will change. So as I promised, this week, Professor Mudoni Masinde, a Kenyan-born computer scientist working in South Africa, who created a mobile app, Information Technology and Indigenous Knowledge, Itiki, alerting farmers on drought via SMS, tells us why documenting this indigenous knowledge is critical in dealing with climate change for the African communities. So thank you so much, Professor Masinde, for finding time to join us. It's my pleasure. So before we dig in into documenting indigenous knowledge, uh, I would want you to first introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit, who is Professor Masinde? Thank you, Sophie. I am a village girl born and bred in Kenya, in Bere, in eastern part of Kenya. Mm-hmm. Um, educated there, went to the University of Nairobi, did computer science, did my master's in Europe, and did my PhD in South Africa. So computer science is my cup of tea. I, I dream it, I live it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's how I decided when I thought I had done enough, mm-hmm. I decided to use it to help people in Berry to predict droughts. So I currently live in South Africa. After my PhD, I stayed on. Mm-hmm. But but everything I do, I first think about home. The solution starts home. Oh, and then I expand it elsewhere here mm-hmm. in Sophie. Okay. Last week, we had a very good conversation with Peter, and um, um, he was telling us about different indigenous uh, natural way of predicting how the weather will be, how the seasons will be. We left at documenting uh, indigenous knowledge. What do you think, how important is it, documenting indigenous knowledge? It's absolutely important. And for me, it's a matter of urgency because we've lost so much of this knowledge if we, with my estimation, I think we've lost up to 50% of the knowledge. First, because the young people, when they go to you, to school and go to cities, they do not see the value of the knowledge. So the, the parents are not able to pass it on to them. Mm-hmm. So like I remember my, my grandma passed away about six months ago. She, she had so much rich knowledge and, and I don't think we captured everything we would have captured from her. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very urgent that we... we documented now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and there are many ways of documenting it so within a tiki project that's one of our objectives yeah so we can create create a database a live database where you keep updating as new observations are done and then you can ensure the local people continue to own it i, I don't advocate where scientists come and take the knowledge and go back to the city Mm-hmm. The village, the community people must always own it. So we must do it such that they continue to own it because they're the ones who will continue updating it. So for us, we use that bottom approach. So the update, it's like we are keeping it for them. We are helping them to keep, to store it, but they should be the one keeping it. Mm-hmm. But Sophia, I, I just need to mention indigenous knowledge is tricky to document yes, sir. because 
we we don't use numbers you see in the scientific mm. one we say it will be 10 degrees there will be 3 degrees mm. so it is just stone numbers but the indigenous knowledge is holistic it's a story it's it's visual yeah so it requires requires more complicated science so in our case what we've done mm-hmm. like i mentioned being a computer scientist i have acquired tools and knowledge that is able to do that so we are using artificial neural networks the mm-hmm. whole field of artificial intelligence mm-hmm. and then if you if you for example one of the example peter was giving you where they're saying um the cl- the weather is like this now you need to spray your the pigeon piece that's a story that you cannot convert into numbers so we 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 we, we, we use tools we call vasi cognitive maps mm-hmm. so that they are, they are they are able to store the knowledge in the computers but still retain the richness of that indigenous knowledge so that's what we're doing we're doing we've been doing it for almost since 2013 but we 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 applied more figure to the project the last 3 years okay. and we have a huge database from bere mm. which we would want to expand to other communities um, um, before we get into the depth of how you do it um why should we document it because then we've modernized we've uh, you know equipment scientific equipments that we can actually use to observe that is quicker you know than actually having a whole story and having you know going into the villages and you know listening to people what they say why is it important why should we still keep this very old way of doing things when probably societies have evolved and societies have moved why is it important to still keep observing <laughs> and documenting this knowledge so i'm laughing because uh, I, i think for 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 a number of years mm-hmm. uh, the scientists especially the scientists in the climate discipline mm-hmm. overlooked that knowledge but i can assure you now the world has really discovered the mistake first mm-hmm. the indigenous knowledge is something that the local people relate with mm-hmm. and uh, it's is actually um, a tool for adaptation mm-hmm. if i give you an example um, the, the local people in bere used to grow sorghum a lot yeah and then and then this civilization came they started planting maize and beans mm-hmm. and uh, they <clears throat> they listened to the scientists without remembering in their roots that uh, millet grew better in their soils yeah and uh, required less rain mm-hmm. so they went to beans they started starving so indigenous mm-hmm. knowledge first and foremost is more accurate we from our research over almost 10 years now mm-hmm. in the local scale when i say local scale i mean within my village or my mom's village of where you are if you look through the window mm-hmm. you have a better we have a better judgment of your weather than what kenya might be seeing from the country level mm-hmm. so from a local point of view it's almost 100% accurate mm-hmm. and we, we within a span of up to 6 months because in our system we use both indigenous and scientific indigenous knowledge is always superior yeah because because it's highly localized it's the tree outside my gate it's the the bird making noise near me so it's highly accurate and we we need to retain this however uh-huh. uh, we should not also 
we, 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 we can't say science is not correct. Both of yeah. them are exactly useful, mm. but we use them together to get, to get to produce a superior adaptation, prediction, whatever tool we want. Yeah. But local knowledge is the tool for survival. Mm. Um, it's no doubt about that. It's proven. We are just forgotten about it. Okay. And, and yeah. also that means in terms of ownership, because one of the things in the years that I've been doing uh, environmental reporting and climate change, I've learned and I've seen that when communities own something, when they feel like they participated, it's, it becomes more trustworthy. It becomes something that they actually own and follow. Is it the same case when it comes to issues of uh, indigenous knowledge? It's, it's 100% the case, Sophie. So for example, earlier on, you were giving an example where Kenya met, they say, the probability of rainfall mm. is 20%. Do you know the local people use the same? Mm -hmm. But the moment you tell them in the scientific language, they don't understand, but you tell them in the language they have always known. Mm. I wish we could we could use our own local language. You know, it might rain. If you just translate that to Kikuyu or to my language, mm -hmm. it might rain. Yeah. My mother understands that, but if you come tell them, they will be near normal rainfall. Oh my goodness. They have no idea all that. So, so the that, ownership your rights is mm. so core so mm. they will use it and they will trust it mm. and probably that yes. also goes into the issues the whole issues of dealing with climate change as in because because when i speak to my grandmother the understanding is that things have always changed the weather always changed and even when we we're speaking to peter they understood the change in knowledge and and probably maybe we we need to go back a little bit and and have um a very informal kind of explanation of what indigenous knowledge is because someone probably could be listening to us and failing to understand what do these two people mean <laughs> yeah in, in fact in the in the science world when you see indigenous sometimes people might assume we are talking about a backward thing like you mm. said indigenous could also mean local to me mm -hmm. what i've used over the years so uh, over the years uh, my mother your mom uh, the village people the small scale farmers I've passed on some knowledge. I'll give you one example. Mm. Um, the, over the years, they knew that the rains, the April, May rain, March, April, May rains in mm -hmm. Eastern Kenya, mm -hmm. they would start around 15th of March. Yeah. That's knowledge they knew, even without the Kenya met. And they knew that the wind would start blowing from south towards the north. Mm -hmm. And then a particular tree, like the example Peter was giving you, will start uh, flowering. Mm. And they will also know that the ants, you know, the, the, the little ants will start moving on a straight line. Mm -hmm. And that frogs will be hand croaking knee in the, in the nearby water body. Mm -hmm. All these things is what we're referring to indigenous knowledge. And it, it, like I said, you can call it in, in, indigenous environmental knowledge, local knowledge. So there are those things that we've observed, yeah. we've seen, we've smelled, and our parents passed it on to them. We passed on to our children from generation to generation. And you know, Sophie, is actually, from my studies, it's actually science. In yeah. yeah, absolutely. Because, be, be, yeah, because when you see an insect, Respecting a particular behavior, mm. it's reacting to something like humidity, it's reacting to something like temperature. So it's highly scientific, just as we don't call it science. So it's it's not a myth. Yeah. It's 
it's indigenous knowledge we can actually account for. Mm, fantastic. Now, you said indigenous knowledge is a story. How do you package this knowledge into a drought predicting tool? So what we've done, we, we started off with um, mapping the story. In other words, we noticed that these patterns fall into particular seasons. So we, we drew, the, we drew the, the pattern for Kenya. We have four seasons. We have the rain season that are, happens around March. Then we have the dry spell where in July, August is included. Then we have another rain season. And then we, we, we documented the story such that when the wind starts blowing in March, when the cows start coming home early March, jumping up and down, when the particular birds are seen settling on trees in March, all that information relates to the onset of the March rainfall. So we documented that in the system. Okay. And then, for, for, for example, right now we are, we are busy observing the indicators that precede the October rainfall. And that's why when we started talking, I said, oh my God, I've been informed that it's drizzling in September. The temperatures are very low. Mm-hmm. The, the, the birds that are usually seen are not there anymore. Mm-hmm. The cows look, look down. So that already is forming a particular direction of the story. Mm-hmm. That the rains could easily come so much later than usual. Yeah. They could come with, with thunder or they could come with huge showers and then stop suddenly. Mm-hmm. So. With all that story, once we document, we put we create in a computer database, uh, which now, as we observe this, we have wireless senses. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter has some of them, mm-hmm. and we also have access to data from weather stations by other companies in Kenya. Mm-hmm. So when the farmers are saying, Oof, it's very cold today. On the other hand, we have a sensor saying it's five degrees. Mm. When they say, oh, now it's like you said, the sun will start coming out. Then we have weather station telling us it's gone 15 degrees. Yeah. So at the end of the day, then we combine those two. And the product is much superior than just using one source in isolation from the other. And how does this information get to communities? Okay. So to start with, we, we have a, a mobile app, a Tiki mobile app which we have given to small-scale farmers who we call, it's, they are like our salespeople, but they, we, we don't see them as such. So we, each one of them, at the moment in Kenya, we have nine of them. Okay. We've given them uh, this phone, so they document in real time what is going on. And we, each one of them is assigned a location so that we, we avoid overlap and we ensure coverage. Mm-hmm. So each one of them record then when they see it raining, when they see the cows coming back home jumping, when they see the ants moving in a straight line, or they see the white froth, mm-hmm. that information comes to, uh, to the database or immediately. Mm-hmm. And like I said before, since we have, we have structured the story, so we wait for a threshold. So we know that if it's around July, let's, let's work with September, since we're in September. Yeah. If we're in September and the temperatures are constantly at a, at a lower, at the ranges of below 20, mm-hmm. 
and uh, we, we we noticed that uh, a number of cows looked down mm -hmm. and we noticed that oh, the recording is saying that the, the particular tree uh, is delaying in flowering mm. uh, i'll give one example a particular uh, mango tree like the mango trees that uh, thrive a lot in the dry areas the one that produce small mangoes okay if many many of those have completely flowered mm. it's a it's an indication because you already know the story if that happens it's actually a sign it's going to be a drought mm. i don't know how nature works but it is the opposite the, the 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 mango trees that tend to have bigger fruits if they are the ones who have flowered more it's a sign that there will be more rain it kind of nature prepares its own aspect because the, the bigger mango requires more rainfall mm -hmm. so if there will be no rain there will be no rain it doesn't bother flowering we want to put it that way yeah so with, with all those triggers and when i say threshold if it's only one one ambassador who noticed it that's not mm -hmm. enough for a prediction. Mm -hmm. So when the, we, when the threshold hits, the prediction happens. The, when I say prediction, mm -hmm. we have artificial neural network models. Yeah. Artificial neural network models, we train them to use the story you've given it, and then it will tell you uh, what is going to happen. Okay. And it, it does so, uh, it also reports to us what is the accuracy. So it will say, oh, it's here is a prediction. Okay. The, the oncoming rains will be less than what the farmers are used to. And since we, we've learned from the farmers, if that's the case, what should we tell them? We'll tell them, oh, people need to plant within one week of, of, September, of October. Otherwise, you won't have a anything. And when you do plant, do not plant maize. Some of them won't, will, will think, a few of them will think it's a joke. So don't plant maize, just plant millet only. And that information is translated into the Kimberi language. And an SMS is generated automatically. And each of the farmers, at the moment we have slightly over 10,000 in the database, mm -hmm. each of the farmers will get, they say, hello, Itiki calling. Uh, the forecast says one, two, three, and you need to, you need to do three, four, five. Oh, okay. And then uh, we, 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 with those, with the ambassadors, not like salespeople, mm -hmm. they can do follow up because some people will ask questions, are you serious? Is yeah. this coming from a tiki? But in, in most of the cases, actually, they are not surprised because that's oh. the very information they are seeing. Oh, that's the very information they provided, yes. So that's how it works. The only difference uh, in the other countries then is we use um different like in, in in south africa we are working with the zulu people mm -hmm. so we use the zulu language yeah. for them and, and in terms of um the challenges that you've actually faced what would you say the challenges has been okay most of the challenges uh, i would say is based on our approach um because it's a bottom-up so scaling up can be very slow Mm -hmm. So, for instance, uh, there's, a, there's a big difference between the people living in Berry South mm -hmm. and people living in Berry North. Even a, a little one here and there, the differences start emerging. And also the kind of indicators they use in the Berry North is different when we don't use Berry South. Mm -hmm. So for us to, to upscale to Berry North, whether we need to recruit our whole new team, 
we need to set up a whole new set of weather stations. But for me, it's a challenge, but yet that's where the success is. Mm -hmm. Because we don't want to trans to, to send focus that are meant for Berry South to people of Berry North because it will not make sense to them. Yeah. So that would be. The second one, I think it's uh, our people, it's taking long for our people to remember because we kind of brainwashed them. Yeah. If Muthuni has gone to school, in fact, sometimes when I go to visit, I sit in the background because they're like, oh, she's prof, oh, she's gone to South Africa, she's yeah. gone to Europe. So then they think I'm the one who knows and, and mm. it's not the mm. case. Mm. So it takes time to actually tell them, this is your information, this is what is good for you. But somehow it, it, it's, it takes time, but when it does work, it's the best thing that happens to us. So it takes, it's a painful, slow process yeah. to reverse what has been damaged. You know, they, 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 what they watch on the TV, they think is more valuable. Mm. If my mother hears it's raining in Nairobi because the daughter has said so, mm -hmm. then she thinks that the gospel truth. She for, they forget that what is local to them, what they knew in the beginning, they need to go back to their roots yeah and make it what they used to yeah mm. so th those those would be the challenges but of course uh, sophia i would be uh, I, I would uh, i would be responsible if if i forgot to mention that climate change is really frustrating people yeah yeah because as much as as much as we are predicting we are not god so we can't give back the rain so right now they are frustrated it means that it won't rain again but yet for us apart from telling giving the bad news we really can't and do the bad news um, uh, to me sometimes it's it's it hurts but it's the nature what can we do and to what extent speaking of climate change has the whole now issues of climate change affected the indigenous knowledge and that certainty of this knowledge among the the factors that that eroded uh, indigenous knowledge top on the list is climate change mm. because um, like i was saying initially one of one of the the most reliable local indicator for rain was seasoned patterns Mm. That has completely been distorted. So as much as a new mid-March to rain, sometimes this has gone on until this time I remember it didn't rain until May and everyone was disoriented, everything had gone to hopelessness. Mm -hmm. So it's massive. And of course, things like uh, the fact that they used to use water bodies mm -hmm. to determine mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, some of these indicators. So they are not there. Mm. And then they used to use bigger trees. They knew this tree will flower, but those trees are not there anymore. So it's completely messed everything for the indigenous knowledge people. How do we bring together modernization, climate change, and also have people find their own local way of dealing with the whole climate issues? How do we get there? How do we get back to basics? It's, it's a complex way, um, but like I said, uh, somebody needs to start the conversation. Mm -hmm. I'm a strong advocate of uh, being um, going back to the roots. In fact, that's my latest slogan, let's go back to our roots mm -hmm. and use the bottom-up approach. But you see, that becomes a very huge project because if my mom is buying a bar of soap from yeah. the shop, mm -hmm. I think it's only the manufacturer of that soap who can help us because at least give the information in a way that they can understand. If if the local uh, the local government, the, the county government can play a role mm -hmm. using different sectors. For example, me, I think the agricultural sector can play a very critical role. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Have a dialogue with the farmers. Have sessions. Let them know that the, the local knowledge is equally important. Mm-hmm. When you buy your fertilizers from the shops, because mm-hmm. sometimes it's consumer way of just pushing products to people. It's, it's what is damaging us. When you buy one bag of fertilizer, you, you need it. Yeah. But then don't forget that the manure, like I remember for us, when you grew up, we, we could, because my parents and my parents and grandparents and cattle, mm-hmm. most of it, we use the manure and that is more sustainable. But just because someone want to do, to see the main mushrooming overnight without yeah. knowing that it will mushroom overnight today, mm-hmm. yet three years from now, you'll have nothing to, you know, yeah. it's, there's yeah. no sustainability. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a, it's a huge dialogue, um, but it's, it's complex. Everyone just needs to come on board and talk about the church need to be involved. Mm. The schools need to be involved. Government need to be involved. All of us need to be involved. You and I alone may not win the battle. Absolutely. And if, for example, for Itiki, for your case, how long did it take you before now to get this kind of, to get, to get these narratives and to even get to the point where now you have a story that you can feed in to the computer system? In the beginning, it took me three years. That's mm-hmm. quite long. Yeah. You know, documenting slowly by slowly. Mm. And also we wanted to, since we wanted a tool that mm-hmm. can be upscaled up, up, up to other places. Yeah. So we also took time to document knowledge from other communities to compare. Mm. And that's why we're able to tell, wherever you go in this world, you can classify indigenous knowledge into five categories. Uh, with that in mind, mm. then we're able to design a system that once it worked for Berry people, mm-hmm. we could easily p- cross over to Mozambique and just change the parameters and the indicators there and then train the system afresh. Mm. So that's why it took three years. Okay. But even after taking three years to, to work with the people, to th- for them to start seeing the value, it's been nine years later. <laughs> wow. So it's that long. Yes. Yeah, that, that, that's one long time. Definitely so, yes. I'm wondering what, what, what role does the policy play in terms of us going back to basic and how vital are they? Massive. You know, I stand by saying that uh, when we use indigenous knowledge, we should not take it from the people and co-publish papers with it mm. without them. Mm. So that policy of protecting the indigenous people and the indigenous knowledge for me is critical. Mm-hmm. Uh, the IP, the intellectual property of that knowledge should always be the people. Mm-hmm. But for that to happen, we, we must register it. And then um, the government also needs to make it like a policy to, to support the farmers in documenting this knowledge because it costs money. Yeah. But you see, if, if, if let me give an example of Embu County because there's a lot of farming happening in Embu. If the farmers do not produce the yield they anticipated, it means that the county government then will have to use the money that was meant for development mm-hmm. to support, to give food relief to those farmers. Mm. Yet they could have invested in systems that can alert the farmers because sometimes you will see two different farmers. Maybe if you draw in the village, you'll notice yeah. five different farmers, three harvests, two do not. Because yeah, sure. of a simple wrong decision. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the policies need to be placed to support that and ensure that this thing of climate change is incorporated into these policies is absolutely. In fact, to me, without them, mm-hmm. we may not go far. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And and thank you so much. But your final word. 
<laughs> oh my fine no yes <laughs> I, I would like to say we must just embrace our indigenous knowledge mm. it's not just it's not just for climate change it's for everything mm. because we've embraced so much of the knowledge coming from wherever mm-hmm. without putting the context that work for us so let's embrace it. Anytime I, I just think indigenous knowledge is sustainable, it's the future, it's the one that will make our people be able to adapt to climate change. Sophie. Mm. Mm. You said it so right. Well, thank you so much, Professor Masinde. Sophie, thanks. All right. That was Professor Masinde on documenting indigenous knowledge. Are you working with communities and helping them adapt to climate change? Well, get in touch with us through info at africaclimateconversations.com or reach us through Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. This podcast and many others are available on all podcast channels you access your other podcasts from or on our website, africaclimateconversations.com. Until next week, kwaheri. Have yourself a productive and safe week ahead. Mm-hmm.